Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. A hell of a lot can happen in 20 years. Where we are going and how it's going to affect us. 20 years from now, I think a lot of the dreams that we normally associate with, say, movies like Back to the Future 2, will actually have come to pass. We will have flying cars. Uh, we will have possibly head transplants, um, brain-to-computer transfers. All those things will be quite normal. Far more tantalizing than the dreams of the science fiction writers. A lot of food in the future will be grown underground. Why? Partly because we discovered that you don't need sunlight with these advanced LEDs. You actually can grow anything anywhere. So we're looking ahead to a, a time that's very, very different from the world we live in today. Welcome to Future Visions, the show by Virgin that explores the world of tomorrow through the finest minds of today. I'm Natalie Campbell, badass entrepreneur and radio broadcaster. And as you've just heard, the world is uh, changing, shall we say. Technology is accelerating at an amazing rate. Our surroundings are morphing and our science fiction dreams are gradually transforming into the everyday fixtures of our lives. In this series, we'll be gazing into the crystal ball and you can think of me as your futuristic tour guide. We'll be meeting some of the incredible characters who will be making predictions from the viewpoints of science, technology, society, business and beyond. Sounds pretty sci-fi, right? Uh, we can't just predict. There isn't enough story material and straight prediction. We make up futures. Uh, back in 1848, Edgar Allan Poe wrote a story set a thousand years in the future. And in it, he had a transatlantic aeronautical voyages only in balloons going a hundred miles an hour so his vision of the future was of faster balloons it's very difficult really to visualize the real future that's the voice of the science fiction writer isaac asimov in 1975 so it's true it's difficult for anyone to say definitively what the future will look like but it's a challenge worth pursuing Here's Richard Branson's take. Yeah, I don't think enough time is spent looking at the future. The world can be, you know, radically different in 20, 30 years' time. And if you don't actually think about what that world will look like, you could be going down completely the wrong path today. You know, I'm in the airline business. Will there be pilots in planes? Will our train company be out of business? Because, you know... Hyperloop will take you from London to Edinburgh in 25 minutes. And so it goes on. And so it would be naive, I think, not to spend some time looking at the future. And then 
If you think the future is going to be brighter due to competition, make sure that competition is yours and that you're the people competing. So on Richard's advice, we've brought together some of the most interesting thinkers in this space. And in this episode, our future vision is brought to us by a man who looks into the crystal ball for a living. Well, my name's James Bellini and I live in the future. I'm what they call a futurologist. It's not the nicest of terms. Uh, people think I need to look like a wizard and I don't. <laughs> but really what I try to do is share my vision of the next five and 10 and 15 years with people in order to make them a bit more aware and a bit more future-proof. Okay, so James is not a backstreet fortune teller. He's actually a professional. He's Cambridge educated and has almost 25 years under his belt as a respected broadcaster and futures forecaster. He's also been a member of the Hudson Institute Futurology Think Tank in the US and served on the European Advisory Board of the Global Future Forum. So if you can trust anyone to tell you what tomorrow might look like, I think he's pretty well qualified. And as a side note, James looks a little bit like Michael Caine and sounds like him too, which makes him extra cool. And what do I do? How do I do it? They think I make it up. They think I make it up on the train coming to the meeting. No, I read very, very widely and I work with my um, informed imagination, if I can call it that, to think about the shape of things to come in the 2020s and possibly the 2030s because of all the technologies I see maturing, because of changing attitudes amongst people as to what they want from life, what they want from their working lives, and put them all together and create pictures. It's not necessarily about predicting the truth, it's about giving people what we call scenarios, possible futures, so that they can think in an imaginative way about what life might be like. And then after that, they can make their own choices, I think. And that's the important point, right? We need to be ready to make the choices, whatever they might be. So, how can we future-proof ourselves? Well, throughout this series, we'll be exploring the tools we need to prepare for the future. We'll be working out what ideas and methods we need to take on board to thrive in the next 20 years. And in today's episode, we're delving into Dr. James Bellini's vision of the future. And we'll be testing his ideas with the help of experts in science, tech and beyond. But before we leap forward into the 20 years ahead, let's step back for a moment. I think one thing to try and think about, though, is what did we have in, what, 1997? Well, we didn't have social media. We had little bits of it, but none of us saw that huge revolution, Facebook and the rest uh, coming uh, down the pipeline. We didn't have the idea of driverless cars. All the things that we now take for granted didn't exist then. So 20 years actually can create a huge volume of change. Back in 1997, the internet was in its infancy. There were only 100,000 websites out there, and Google wasn't one of them. It was basic. And yet, 20 years later, the internet defines our era. Social media is fundamental to how we live, work, and play. The internet has revolutionized the way we communicate, learn, share, navigate, trade. You get the picture. It's changed every aspect of our lives. So getting back to the future, so to speak, where are we likely to see the biggest changes in the next 20 years? Dr. James Bellini's visions for the future are vast and varied. So let's start by focusing on a specific aspect that he's really excited about. 
Well, one area where we're going to see enormous change is in medicine and pharmaceuticals, of course, but in medicine, the whole vision of not only um, having artificial hearts, but having them printed in 3D printers, that's already in, in the early experimental stage in a place like the University of Nottingham. OK, so this is amazing. They've made a realistic prosthetic heart using different blends of silicon gel. So it's exactly like a heart in terms of texture. It's fleshy, it's soft. And they've used CT scans to understand each chamber of the heart, each muscle, and replicate that. So it's unbelievably accurate. At this stage, the heart is being used for training purposes. So trainee surgeons can practice on this model before being let loose on the real deal. I mean, a living, beating heart where a single error could be fatal. They need the practice, right? So this is an amazing medical development. The creator of the model heart, Richard Arm, said it was the closest you could get to a real heart without creating artificial muscle fibres. Again, it just gets better. But it also leads me to think, is that the next step? Synthetic hearts made from muscle fibre? 3D printed to use in transplant. Imagine that. No more cues for donor organs. This is all very exciting. And it gets stranger. The other idea of being able to have heart operations performed by a surgeon the other side of the world, that is a definite as far as I can see. We will live in what we will call a haptic universe, a universe where things are controlled by touch and things are controlled by remote messaging, holography and things like that. So it will be quite normal to have very complex operations performed from any part of the planet. And so I think that will revolutionise the opportunities that the medical fraternity have to actually create and cure and improve lives on any part of the planet. So if you wanted to perform a heart operation or a brain operation in a part of Africa, but you want to conduct it from, say, Chicago, then that will be done through visual connectivity that's not real, it'll be virtual. In simple terms, a surgeon will have at his or her disposal virtual reality glasses and goggles, for example, haptic connectivity, holograms, where they actually do have a real image of something the other side of the world. And that could be a patient, it could be a, a heart area, it could be a brain area. And that means that surgeon, using their virtual reality or their new reality, augmented reality technologies, can actually be as if they are there on the spot, and they won't be. So. Imagine that for a second. You need an operation, can't get to a big major hospital. Simple. Just Skype or FaceTime your surgeon and they'll do it down the line. Could this really be possible? Yeah, we've already done that, yeah. So it's predicting the past, okay. <laughs> That's Dr. Meren Anvari, professor of surgery at McMaster University in Canada. He's actually been performing operations remotely for over a decade already. In uh, 2003, we initiated a program where I was able to operate on patients uh, in a totally different locality, about 400 kilometers north in northern uh, Ontario. So, at the moment, it's a little more rudimentary than the scenes James described. The surgeons aren't using augmented reality just yet. So we actually... Uh, using landlines, uh, basically internet lines. The initial uh, program that we uh, set up was to use a robot uh, as the surgeon's uh, surrogate hands and eyes to be able to perform the surgery. 
we're using uh, the telepresence, the telerobotic surgery. We performed colon resections, uh, splenectomies. Uh, we did gastroesophageal surgery. So quite complex surgeries. Uh, these are delicate surgeries, which generally require high level of skill. And frankly, mistakes could be quite fatal for a patient. So we really did complex surgery and we showed the fidelity of such procedures. So telesurgery is all very well and good, but there's an obstacle, and it's the delay time on these lines of communication. The bigger the geographical distance, the longer the delay time. We've all been there. And as Dr. Anvari just said, a mistake in these delicate operations could be fatal. Just imagine. The heart surgeon in New York instructs the robot surgeon in the Sahara to stop the incision. And we've all been there. The buffering wheel appears. Everything goes quiet. It's all over, right? So while they can currently perform telesurgery over a distance of a few hundred kilometres, they're not quite at the stage where a surgeon in Chicago can operate on someone in Africa. And that's all to do with the delay time. The next phase of our research led to say, okay, what if the distance is so much that we cannot use landlines and used to use satellite or go to places where you don't have a local surgeon. And that was when we realized that the telepresence surgery, which is what we called it, that is real-time surgery where a surgeon actually is controlling the robot, may not be the right answer because once the time delay goes about 300 milliseconds, telesurgery, as I described, it becomes almost difficult. And with a satellite, so it's at least 750 milliseconds for signals to bounce up and down. So we started to work on automation and we've developed a series of robots which can now perform certain tasks in an automated manner. And I believe in the next five years, we will definitely have an autonomous robot which is capable of taking action based on various parameters and perform tasks. So we are moving more and more into automated and autonomous system rather than just purely telepresence. So this really is beginning to sound like a science fiction novel. Automated surgeons performing routine operations without a human instructing them? And when Dr. Anvari talks about an autonomous, automated medical system, he doesn't just mean automated robot surgeons. This is also about early-stage diagnosis. We're moving more and more towards detecting abnormalities early in its life cycle and dealing with this at a very early stage with very minimally invasive needle scopic technology rather than large surgeries. I see a day where most, for example, cancers are not going to be resected but are going to be detected very early in this life cycle and destroyed inside the body with various ablative technologies. So we are moving towards that and uh, it will certainly add to the longevity of the population in the future. Whoa, this is big. Currently more than a third of the population will be diagnosed with cancer at some point in their lifetime. And Dr. Anvari is saying that one day our medical technology will be so advanced that we'll be able to zap those cancerous cells before we're even experiencing any symptoms. What excites me these days is, is the fact that robots are tools. They're not uh, uh, anything but that. But we can build with our value system as well as our knowledge 
ability to make diagnosis, plan a treatment, and execute a treatment, which is far more accurate and far more consistent than we can do right now. So I do believe that human lifespan will increase quite significantly in the next 20 years. What is the maximum? I don't know. But definitely longevity is going to increase as it has in Western countries over the last uh, 100 years. I think it's going to speed up and you see populations reaching a 100-year average, quite a normal thing in most Western countries. In 1900, the world average life expectancy was just 31. You were living longer than average if you were celebrating your 32nd birthday. Now I'm not old, but it makes me feel old. But in 2014, the age the average person was expected to live was way older. The life expectancy had risen to 71 and a half. So it's not a huge stretch of the imagination that people will be living to 100 in the next couple of decades. So anyway, getting back to medicine and automation, what does this mean for the hospitals of the future? I believe in 20 years from now, our hospitals are going to look very different. Uh, it's not that they're going to be devoid of physicians and nurses and, and healthcare providers, but there's going to be a higher level of technology taking on some of the mundane work from diagnosis and treatment of certain conditions in, in part of screening to treatments and drug dispensation and other forms. What we are going to be looking at, probably smaller hospitals, much more lean, a bit like what your auto manufacturing has gone through in the last 10 years. I think Healthcare has to brace itself for a significant change. And I think those who accept the changes and adapt with it and find what their role could be would do survive. And I think those who resist change, I think, are going to be left behind. I think the idea that we will have... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Yeah. 
enormously large hospitals which are where patients or sick people go and get treatment is going to change i think what we're going to see is technology is going to bring uh, provision of uh, health and surgical care closer to home closer to patients and probably more smaller venues where we can deliver a variety of approaches Right. So according to that, you'll be able to nip down to your local medical practice for that complex eye surgery. That would be amazing. You're listening to Future Visions, the show by Virgin that explores the world of tomorrow through the finest minds of today. And in this episode, we're exploring the future as forecast by the esteemed futurologist, Dr. James Bellini. So the medicine of the future will be using robotics, automation and as James suggested earlier, augmented and virtual realities to overcome distances and other obstacles. So let's delve a little deeper into this idea of the new realities. Back to James. So we have a look at this bunch of disruptive technologies that we're going to see in the next 10 and 20 years, and amongst them are the new realities of virtual reality, augmented reality, hybrid reality, which means that the reality actually can be transmitted somewhere else. And so if people think virtual reality is really a sort of a toy for entertainment, but actually it will become a crucial tool in practically every area of everyday activity. OK, first things first, if you're anything like me, you want to know what exactly is virtual reality? Maybe I'll try and summarise what virtual reality, augmented reality and mixed reality is, because for many they might be quite new terms. Daniel Cheatham is Chief Interactive Officer at Happy Finish an immersive media company specialising in putting these new realities into work. He can explain this better than I can. When we talk about virtual reality, on the whole we're talking about the use of HMDs, head-mounted displays. When a user puts that headset on, they're transported to a world of our device. That could be created using 360 video, so us shooting with multiple cameras and stitching that together. It could be created with computer-generated imagery, utilising real-time engines. That end of the spectrum in virtual reality is when things get more interactive. So as a user, I might be able to walk around a space while in a headset, picking up things virtually, exploring them, shooting zombies, maybe even walking around a virtual shop and picking up products. Virtual reality. So you as a user, you have presence in that environment and you are, to all intents and purposes, feeling as though you're there, hopefully, if we get it right. Augmented reality is different. It doesn't take the user away from the real world in which they exist. It's using a screen or potentially even a holographic display to mediate between the user and the real world. So it's offering contextual augmentation of what's happening in the real world. A good example would be Pokemon Go, everyone's heard of Pokemon Go. Um, So people using their mobile devices to run around searching for augmented Pokemons who live in a sort of virtual layer over the real world. Mixed reality, um, well, it's sort of a different flavour of augmented reality. Mixed reality is when the device which is mediating between me, the user, and the real world has greater contextual awareness of that physical world. So a good example would be the Microsoft HoloLens, a very, very powerful piece of technology. It's like a beefed-up mobile device with a holographic screen that you wear on your head. It also has Z-depth sensors, which are reading the geometry of the world around it. So in doing that, it knows where things are. For example, in this room, there are chairs, there are tables. The HoloLens can understand where all of these things are and then can add augmented assets or holograms in true context in that environment. 
So these virtual and augmented reality headsets are being developed already, and they're currently mainly used for gaming or recreation. Not to mention the huge amounts of money being poured into this technology by the oldest industry in the world, the porn industry. But we're already seeing VR headsets being used to train surgeons, so they can operate virtually before they operate on real people. Which makes me think James's prediction isn't too wacky after all. And with time, it seems that these new realities will become more and more mainstream and we'll be using them in our everyday lives. Things have moved exponentially fast in terms of what we've been able to do with virtual reality and augmented reality over the course of the last three years. Facebook purchasing Oculus Rift a couple of years ago now for two billion US dollars. That really took the world's attention and focused it on virtual reality. Um, if Mark Zuckerberg is investing $2 billion and is talking about it being the future of how human beings will interact digitally, then people sit up and listen. So what will this future look like? This future where virtual, augmented, hybrid realities are available to the masses. How will this change the way we live, the way we work? The point about these new realities, the point about having businesses conducted virtually and so on, is that within the next 15 or 20 years, the whole notion, the geography of work will have changed. We won't necessarily go to a nine to five fixed place office. We'll be in a remote place, a place of our choice. You won't have necessarily to have meetings in an office with your colleagues from America or, or from Australia. You will have augmented reality images projected into the room, so you are as if sitting around the table, if you like, having a chat. And so uh, really what's going to happen is the what you might call the where of business, the where of working, is going to change totally. You will not have to be there with your colleagues. You'll be there virtually. It's a revolution. Sometimes revolutions can be dangerous. Is there a downside? Daniel Cheatham has some thoughts on this. It's difficult because it could be considered scaremongering and I'm pretty sure with every new media revolution from the Lumiere brothers creating the first motion picture, um, the advent of the personal computer like 30 odd years ago, I'm pretty sure there were people who some might consider Luddites <laughs> who were very concerned about the impact that would have on our lives. The downside of, of business that's run on the new realities, uh, as many people tell me, is that People will miss the human contact that they currently have when they go to the office or they go to a meeting and so on. And I have to say that these realities will be so real in 15 or 20 years' time that you won't notice that they're not there. Well, one worry that the tech and sci-fi worlds have been grappling with for a while now is the concept of hyperreality. In simple terms, hyperreality is defined as an inability of the consciousness to distinguish the physical real-world reality from a simulation. So imagine living in the future we're describing and not being able to tell the difference between plugged into your virtual reality goggles and real life. This might sound fanciful to anyone who considers themselves as having their feet on the ground. I mean, I do. I think we all do. But you don't have to look too far to see cases of this happening already. Just browse the internet and you'll find stories of people becoming addicted to games such as Second Life and World of Warcraft, where the vast multiplayer worlds become, in the player's mind, more interesting and fulfilling than real life. The virtual world for them has taken over. So in 20 years' time, when the imagery of VR goggles and holography is so good it's, well, indistinguishable, this could be a widespread problem. 
And there's a whole conversation to get into about the multitude of ways that could affect the human condition. Around hyper-reality, it's a term that's been used by a number of people. There's a guy called Keiichi Matsuda who created a film which sort of brings to life this relatively dystopian future where you're being bombarded by a layer of information on top of the real world constantly. It's quite harrowing, actually, the feeling that this film gives the viewer that they're going to be absolutely bombarded at every moment with information that is potentially useless or irrelevant or, or pitching products or selling to them. Think about walking into the supermarket and the floor lighting up with arrows to direct you to that exact product you were thinking about, and then some. This is automatically projected by your augmented reality glasses, for instance. And I was invited to a think tank by a major UK transport hub to talk to the board about how virtual reality, mixed reality, might change the way in which travellers pass through this travel hub. And I showed the film, um, I showed Keiichi's film to that group, and I suggested that this was a future that we don't want to create, that it's probably something we should avoid. However, they pushed back. Uh, they were like, no, 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 no. We actually feel that this is the right thing for us to do because it opens up our retail footprint. It means that rather than just having 100 shops in our transport hub, we can then open up all of the space, the virtual, the augmented space, and sell that space to more retailers. So they were looking at it as a commercial opportunity. And I think that's where a lot of danger comes. So I've just watched Keiichi's film and it's disturbing, it's profound, it's almost a sensory overload. Keiichi is basically predicting that augmented reality will make things intensely more crazy. That's how I felt watching the film. His vision of the future is kaleidoscopic. And as our physical and virtual realities become more and more entwined, it raises questions about how our identities will change. How will we know who we are? If we allow that to happen and we start bombarding people, let's imagine a scenario, I wake up in the morning, I put on a pair of what look like sunglasses, but actually that's delivering augmented content. And everywhere I go, I'm being delivered brand messages and I'm being pushed information and it will be overwhelming. Probably change the way my brain functions eventually. Um, I'll become blind to most of those messages. If that happens, I guarantee most people will start taking those glasses off and will not want to put them back on. So we've got to be very cautious about not overdoing it, not pushing too much information to people too early. I really urge you to watch Keiichi's film if you haven't seen it already. It's a feast for the eyes and it really gets you thinking. You can find it at hyper-reality.co. And of course, some of you might already be familiar with Charlie Brooker's Black Mirror TV series which plays with similar ideas of augmented reality and the physical reality blending. Head over to Netflix for further reading. So, from what we've heard so far, there are definitely things to get excited about and there might be some things to be slightly wary of. But how can we prepare for the future? Fundamentally, technology is going to change the way we live, whether we like it or not. But as Kei Chi's film illustrates, the thing that will stay consistent is human nature. 
The risk is that we become isolated and we live in our virtual worlds and we become more insular as individuals. But I think adversely, human beings like to interact with each other. And hopefully the virtual and augmented worlds become a platform for us all to work more efficiently and coexist even more tightly as human beings. So it depends on your belief in human nature, really. We know that in order to live a good life, we need to connect. We know we need to feel wanted and to feel loved. The desire for purpose and the longing for meaningful relationships are the things that ultimately keep us grounded. So if we want to understand the future, we need to understand people. So in that case, what should we be packing for our future-proofing toolkit? If you want to seize the opportunities, if you like, of the next 10 and 20 years, I'd say a couple of things. I think the most important thing you need to look at is what I would call the sociology of the future, how people will want to behave, how they will have expectations, what they want from life, from working life, from leisure life, from their relationships and so on. So the sociology side is very, very important. And I think the other side, which is going to be crucial, is how we actually deploy data information. We're going into an age now of revolution in big data and without that we will not be able to understand where things are going and the real world and the real world opportunities that lie ahead. If we focus on people as humans, not machines, perhaps technology will develop to serve their needs and enhance well-being rather than making us all feel more and more isolated. It's a no-brainer, right? So what else is in James's toolkit for the future? The second area, I think, you've got to think about how you will be able to manage teams that are immensely diverse, both uh, in terms of human terms and in geographical terms, because there'll be a dispersed workforce. So learning to manage people from very different backgrounds who are not necessarily even in the same office as you. And I mean, in the 2020s and possibly 2030s, we'll be having at least four generations in the workforce. You'll have the baby boomers who are just beginning to retire, then you have various uh, generations through to millennials, and then by then we'll have Generation Z. These all have very different outlooks on life. They think about the world differently, they relate to each other differently, and that is the great challenge, I think, lying ahead for the businessmen of the future, how to manage those differentiated teams. What I'm going to take away from all this is that in James's vision for the future, there are multiple realities, multiple generations and autonomous robot surgeons. And we can see the seeds of this future in the research that's happening today, in the 3D printed hearts, Dr. Anvari's telesurgery, Daniel Cheatham's work at Happy Finish, and the other new reality tech that's being developed. These tech innovations are absolutely incredible. And I, for one, am excited to see how they evolve over the next 20 years. If we are equipped with an understanding of people and those connections and that meaning, perhaps we can work together for a future where innovation serves human needs and well-being. And I'm going to leave you to chew on that. from this episode of Future Visions. We want to hear from you about what you think the future will look like. Get in touch using the hashtag futurevisions on Twitter at Virgin or leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button too. 
And for more information on James Bellini and all of the other contributors in this episode, check out the podcast pages over at virgin.com. Next time on the Future Visions podcast. So, I mean, people like Bill Gates and Stephen Hawking, they're starting to talk about this, right? Their fear of AI isn't that the AI is going to take over our world, you know, that the AI is going to kill us. Like, that's not the fear. The fear is, is that what are we going to do when people don't have any jobs and we haven't educated them well? The amalgamation of 20 years or another generation that is not being included, yeah, you're going to have this dystopia massively. It's just, I think it's going to be very uncomfortable and it's going to create in two groups and despair. Araceli Camargo joins us to present her future visions. How do we prepare ourselves for a world where robots are stealing our jobs? Until then, that's all from me, Natalie Campbell. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.